0: Well good morning. Good to see each of you today. I'm excited for you guys that the Lord has brought you after a long wait the man that he had planned for you. Isn't that exciting? Well you ought to be just plum excited right now. I mean this is you're moving to a different place. You're uh, having new opportunities. Uh, We finished the book of Colossians so you may be wondering well, what's he going to do now. That's a fair enough question. Uh, I've got a, about three mess. I have got. Th- I think I have three more Sundays here with you, and I want to do some stuff that I think is really important for uh, this time that you're now entering into. I believe that all scripture is inspired by God, it's all God breathed, it's, it's profitable for uh, teaching and training and rebuking and correcting us and all those things so that we can be the, the people that God wants us to be, and I think as you face this new time with Pastor John coming, I, I think there's some places I want to take you. I want to go back a couple of messages. We're going to go into the Old Testament and take the opportunity to do some, some uh, isolated messages there that I, I hope will have the net effect of really preparing your heart for okay, what's this, new, uh, what's this new thing going to look like for me? I mean, how in the world am I supposed to respond? What are some things that I can really shore up or enhance in my own life by the grace of God that will help me to be an effective individual follower of God? and also an effectual effectual, um, member of this body that's moving forward with so many new opportunities with a new pastor, a new location, uh, new people to reach out to, and people that you've had around you at your workplace and everything that you can reach out to as well. Some related to the church, but all related to the ministry of of God's ambassadors. So uh, I want to take you in particular this Sunday. So we'll do a couple of Sundays from the Old Testament. I've got one that I want to preach that's a more topical sermon that uh, will have to do with some ways that you can encourage your pastor coming into a new pastor. Is he going to be here on the 8th, Huey? On the the 1st? So next Sunday? All right. So it'll be uncomfortable for him to sit through that, unfortunately. I should have done that one today. All right. (laughs) Well, I'm going to set the bar high. Whatever I say, you guys got to do it the next week so he feels like you're listening, all right? But but as course on Bible Church, I mean, you're standing on the brink of an exciting new time in your life with Pastor John coming, and God's been preparing you for this, right? I mean, this has been coming, and you've gone through, I know, some hard times, and, and certainly some times where you're, you're kind of a little bit like sheep without a shepherd, without having somebody here. And, uh, but he's preparing you. He's been using that, I believe, to, you, to prepare you, not impair you, for this part of your new adventure. And it's an important time, I believe, to really commit yourselves to um, individually and as a body to being men and women of God. All right? Because the church is a gathering, isn't it, of, of individual believers that have a corporate function. These are not, The church is not a gathering of people meeting. It's a gathering of believers who have been saved by the grace of Christ. Of God, If you're here and do not have that relationship, you're technically not really part of the church, although we're praying that that would happen. You know what I mean? But as individual believers, as we are strengthened individually, the church can not help but be strengthened as well. So the questions that we want to be asking as individuals and corporately are what kind of things are important. Uh, how can we prepare ourselves to, to uh, maximize our usefulness as we enter into this new phase of ministry. And so this morning, I want to direct you to a text, if you'll open your Bibles or, or search on your smartphone, to uh, Joshua chapter 1. The beginning of the book of Joshua. And I want to direct your attention to a text where God himself is giving instructions to his representative just prior to a very important time. So turn, open your Bibles to John, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now, Joshua finds himself in a similar situation. He's preparing for a new part of God's plan for himself, a new new opportunity for ministry, a new beginning. And make no mistake about it, Joshua, at this point that we find him here in Joshua 1, has been being prepared for quite a while. He has had 40 years of preparation. He was prepared in so many ways in the battle uh, against Amalek, uh, God was preparing Joshua. He learned in that battle that uh, God has power, right and the power is in God rather than in his own sword and his own methods and his own ideas. He, he learned the power of prayer there as Moses uh, prayed interceding for the, the battle with Aaron and her uh, supporting him in that uh, on Sinai, God had prepared Joshua. There he saw really, I think, a living illustration of God's glory and his power and his holiness as as they were instructed to stay back from Sinai. And they were instructed about God's otherliness and his power as he resided there and how he is different and holy. And they had a better understanding. I think he learned a better understanding of God's character in the tabernacle. God had prepared Joshua there. He learned the sweetness of basking in God's presence. If you remember back in, I believe it's Exodus 33, Joshua pictured there and he doesn't even want to leave the tabernacle because he's just loving it so much. You ever felt like that coming to church? I mean, I know this isn't the tabernacle, but you know what I mean? Where you're just with the other people of God. It's like, man, that's a little, little taste of heaven, right? Now we find Joshua on the plain of Moab and he's got with him about 2 million or so or more people, and they're about to embark on the most important thing, really, in the history of Israel. They're about to cross the River Jordan and enter into the promised land, a land that was promised to them 700 years before. Think about that for a little bit. I mean, think about it. How, 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 how old is this church? Any idea? Somebody? Four, where? Fourteen, f- 14, 15 years? All right. <laughs> Let's say there was something that you just, you know, God was gonna do and, and it was all planned out, everything 14, 15 years ago when this place started. How excited would it be if right now that time had finally come? Whatever it was, something that you knew God had planned for you. This is 700 years, okay, folks? 700 years of waiting and God had promised. Now God promised in different ways and all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to pull that illustration to the church here, I know. But he had promised, right, that this land would be theirs. to to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and passed all the way through. And when they were in bonds in in Egypt, they knew one thing, right? I may be a, a slave. I may not have my own property now, but you know what? The God who promised is faithful, right? And he's got a plan and that land's ours. We may not be there right now, but you know what? God says it, therefore it is, right? That land's ours. So they're standing there now after all the wanderings, after all that kind of stuff. They've come to the the plains of Moab overlooking the the Jordan River. And on the other side of the Jordan River, right, looking uh, towards the, uh, what is it, west, I think. uh, As you're looking west, there is the land. You can see it. You can taste it. You may be able to smell it, but there it is. And now's the time where God said, let's take it. Let Let me give it to you. And here, at that time, before one of the most significant events in the history of Israel, God pulls Joshua aside and he gives him some very, very critical instructions. Some, some marching orders, as it were, for embarking on his God-given mission. And, and these are instructions, I believe, which hold truths that are important for us to hear as well, and they apply to us as well as, as and there are things that we need to review. These are not uh, particular promises, right, to Joshua, although they were in this case, but they're promises that are repeated to us who are believers as well, as you'll see. So the truths apply to us, while not all truths in Old Testament scriptures would apply the same way. You understand where I'm going with that? All right, good. And, and the bottom line question as we come to this, because these are instructions from God to Joshua that he would be a man of God, the right leader at the right time, the right participant in his plan. The question for each one of us is, do we want to be men and women who follow God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Do we want to be effective represent, representatives of Almighty God and whatever his plan is and his purpose is in us individually and here as a church as well? And, and if so, which I believe to be the case, if we want to have that effect on those around us, if we want to be used by God to the maximum extent... These orders come in really handy to review and think through. So you got your Bibles open, I hope, to Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's look at God's charge to Joshua, who was his man in that time, and see some essential elements of a man of God so that we can be better prepared to be his man, his woman, in our time, this time. Okay, Joshua 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid. he said this. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, the first thing you see right off the bat there, and this is all on your outline, you see the focus of the man of God. And that is the word of God. The word of God, folks, is central to everything, amen? I mean, this is key to it all. Now, as evangelicals who hold fast to the truth of God, it's easy for us to go, yeah, I get that. But I submit to you that the word of God being central is so much more than just a position that we hold or recite on a creed. But it is a, a mindset, a heart set, that calls us to, imbibe the word of God, dwell on the word of God, live out the word of God, respond to the word of God, and really just in effect be saturated by the word of God. The word of God is our focus. Um, As you move to this new phase, that will continue to be important, right? Right? In your own individual lives and in the life of this church, the Word of God must be central, right? We must cling to the Word and, and, and evaluate every ministry or every decision we make in our own personal lives according to god 's truth, right? It, it's so easy to, to get to drift a little bit. I mean, you see this in Christian colleges, you see it in Christian seminaries, you see it in churches. In order to please somebody or to avoid a split. Or something like that, if we're not careful, what we do is we start to compromise the Word of God. Guys, gals, not an option. Not an option. We stand true on the Word of God if there are 120 people here, three people here, or 10,000 people here, right? It's not about numbers. We stand true to the word of God. Think about it. If everyone in this flock right here begins to decide and interact with one another in accordance with what God's word says, every one of us, right? Will we have problems from within? Every one of us is doing it. No, right? One person not, we might. Okay, It's, it's realistic, right? Will we be able to work through whatever we face? Will we have confidence in the directions we should go? Will we be strengthened by each other's obedience to the word of God to step forward and take steps of faith when needed? The answer to all those questions is yes, right? The word of God is central. What happens is when we find, we we believe the word of God, we creed the word of God, we recite the word of God, but then when it gets to personal situations, we can get pragmatic, right? And begin to compromise the word of God because we fear man rather than God. Try to find seminaries today that teach the word of God like that. They're few and far between. I remember when I was looking for a seminary in Texas originally, how hard it was for me to go around and find a place that really, I wanted to, I mean, I was coming out of the workforce, man. I'd I'd been, I was what, Kim, 33 or something like that when I went to seminary. It was like, I don't want to go to seminary just to go to school. You know what I'm saying? I don't need another class. I want to go to learn how to rightly divide the word of God better. I really want to be impacted by the word of God. So what I'm looking for is a place that's going to teach me how to do that. That's why I ended up in masters. But I looked around all over the place, I'm telling you. And it's hard, few and far between. There's one seminary that my father went to. The, the church I was at, the guy who was a pastor was the, the, on the board of trustees of it. A lot of pressure for me to go to this place. And considered by most to be one of the most conservative uh, seminaries and certainly the largest in the United States. I got the information on what I'd be learning there, and out of 120 hours that I would take to get my uh, Masters of Divinity, guess how many hours had to do with Bible required? Six, six. Oh, I would learn how to, what the latest trends in youth ministry were. I would learn how to uh, order Sunday school board material from the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever. You know, I would learn uh, to teach Jude by interpretive dance or whatever. You know, I don't know. You know it's, it's, but it wasn't Bible. You didn't have to take languages. You didn't have to know Greek. You didn't have to know Hebrew. That wasn't important that you be able to study it in its original language. You could do it. You could take tracks for that. But that's not the thing. Why is that? It's because that's hard work to get into the Word of God. It's hard work as a pastor. It's hard work as lay folk, right? To take the time with all the distractions we have in our lives and sit down with the Word of God, know the Word of God, study the Word of God, and apply the Word of God. To meditate on it takes time. The neat thing about our passage here and the neat thing about Hebrew is Hebrew has some ways of telling you what the main emphasis of the passage is. And it does it because it's kind of a poetic language. It does it in this, in this case with what's called a chiastic structure. Write that down, chiastic structure. Yeah, that's worth it, right? No, what I'm saying is you don't need to remember chiastic structure. What you gotta remember is this. What the Hebrew writer would do under the inspiration of God, of course, is he would build points. A, B, C, and then hit his focal point, and then he would repeat those points in reverse, typically B or C, B, A. And what you'd have is basically like a little pyramid you're building up, building up, and boom, there's the main point, and then you come right back down the stairs. Are you tracking with me so far? Was that boring enough for you? This is not boring. This is awesome because it tells us the main point, right? So he says, I will be with you. He says, be strong and courageous. He says, be careful to do. And then he says the word of God. And then he goes backwards, be careful to do, be strong and courageous, I'll be with you. And all that is a a literary device to show you that the main thing is this, be about the word of God, which is the focus of God's man. The first essential element of a man of God is that the focus of God's man be upon the word of God. If Joshua was to be successful in God's task, he must first be a man of God. It must be a part of him. It must infiltrate his very being. And we see this in our passage in three areas. You have them on your outline. The word of God needs to be in your mouth, folks, right? Look at verse eight. Do not even let this book of the law depart from your mouth. We should be speaking the word, right? Uh, Psalm 37, verse 30 says, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. As individuals and as a ministry of a body like this, uh, we must continue to use words that have power and those are the words of truth, the word of God. Too many people are using everything but that, right? Opinions, I got an opinion on this or a nice story and I use illustrations and all that kind of stuff, but you throw in psychology and politics and everything else and dilute the word of God. I'm not saying don't use an illustration. I'm not saying it's wrong to do some of those kind of things that I mentioned there, some of them maybe so. But what I'm getting at is the gist of everything should be the word of God. And we should only bring in uh, illustrations and things like that because we want people to better understand the word of God. Illustrations are windows to help us to remember the truth and apply it. That's what Jesus did. Consider the lilies, right? It needs to be in our mouth. Nothing worse than going into a a, a church and hearing the pastor get up and says, well, here's my opinion. Sir, I don't want to know your opinion. Open the bread of life so that I may feast, right? We have the word. It should be in our mouth day and night. It should be in our ministries, but it begins with us as individuals. If you don't, as individual parts of this body have the word of God dwelling richly within you like Colossians talked about, then I guarantee you it will affect the, the corporate ministry of the body over time in one way or another, negatively. If you do, it will affect the corporate ministry of the body positively. The minute we begin to think about things that are, and, and pull away from God's word being the focus in, in ministry, we begin to compromise and strife rears its ugly head. The word of God should be in our mouth. <laughs> I love this, okay? Because think about it. In your own speech, in my speech, how much am I talking the word of God? I may not be going to, you know, Leviticus thirty-four, two, you know, and then pumping it out at the, the window and door store or something, you know, right? But I'll tell you what, God's truth ought to be coming out. His character ought to be showing I think even the more you're in the word of God, your, your speech begins to be peppered by biblical phrases. That's why sometimes it's hard for us to communicate with non-Christians because we're so peppered with that. We need to remember they don't know what some of these phrases mean. I knew a guy at Placerita up in Santa Clarita. He's, he's passed away now. He's went to be with his Lord, the Lord. His wife recently did as well. And this guy was a scripture meditating machine. He memorized scripture like nobody I've ever met in my life. Nobody in seminary, no pastor I've ever uh, respected or whatever. You know, this guy was in the word of God. He, he chewed on it. He had little things. He was always going over it. And I used to love it. We'd have corporate prayer time, like you guys are going to have right after this. And when he'd pray, now, I don't everybody start putting this together while I'm finishing my sermon, all right? But when he would pray, it would be like pieces of scripture just knitted together. Not because he's trying to press anybody or anything like that, because that's what was just in him, and the sponge was being squeezed, and that's what was coming out. And I never will forget, we went to dinner with this guy before we went off to Kansas, and we were eating at a restaurant, and I'm, I never will forget this, it stuck with me, oh, to be a man like this. And, and his wife says, we were talking about that, what, what's, how have you done that? What are some things I can learn, you know? And uh, his wife commented in the midst of that conversation, said, you know, because I was talking about just kind of the same things I just told you here, and uh, his wife says, you know what's funny? His name was Hal. When Hal's asleep and he talks in his sleep, do you see where I'm going? He starts quoting scripture in his sleep. That's saturated, man. We want to be like that, right? We want to be so imb- so deep into the word of God that when we hiccup, you know, into a Bible verse, right? It's beautiful. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. That's the focus of the man of God, the word in your mouth. B, it shouldn't only just be in your mouth, right? But it should be in your heart. It shouldn't depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it. Verse eight, day and night. The only way your speech will be biblical is if you have some serious time in the word, of course. The emphasis here is on action. Uh, It's usually on the person in this passage. It's usually dealing with that. But the meditation aspect of action, of being in the word, right? Right? is action. You're not much of a doer without it. If you don't meditate on the word of God, it's going to be hard not to be a hearer only. Meditate, the word here, literally the idea to, to murmur with deep, repetitive, enduring contemplation. This is not Zen Buddhism. This is not meditation like the yoga thing and all that. This is pondering. The best way to meditate on scripture I have found in my own life is this. Memorize scripture because you cannot help but meditate on it as you memorize it. It breaks it down, prepositional phrases. You may not know what a preposition is, but when you're memorizing it, you, you automatically are put it that way because you're forced to think about it and process it. And what does this mean as you chew it over and over and over again? It's a picture of the cow in the pasture out in Chino, right? And he's chewing his cud. How many stomachs does a cow have? Anybody know? Go ahead, give it to me. So I got three, I got four. All right, something like that, right? There's more than one. Yeah, you know, some of us have one. Some bigger than cow stomachs, but okay. Anyway, he, uh, the cow, and you're gonna love this, especially if there were children here. You know, a cow will eat, right? And that's what he does. That's all he does. You follow him around a pasture. That's all he's doing. That's that's his life. Everything, eat. And so he's going around, he eats here. When that grass is gone, he's like, where's the grass? You know, it's not Chick-fil-A, right? Let's go. He, let's go over here, he eats some more, he eats some more. And what he does is he eats the thing. Are you ready for this? It gets colorful, all right? And he swallows it. So far, so good, right? That doesn't stop there. If you've got a weak stomach, you may want to look over into Habakkuk for a little while. What he does next is then he has the ability to take from his stomach, right? And regurgitate it back into his mouth. And chew on it some more. And this is a process that keeps working it out until it's processed, and every bit of nutrient of that boring old grass is in his body and also needs this big thing that we can go and order at, at Fleming's, okay? But what he's doing is, that's the picture here. You take the word of God, you chew on it, you think about it, you process it, and then you bring it back and you chew on it and think about it and process it. And then the situation comes up in your life and it bring, it's brought back to mind. How does this play in to this decision I have to make or this compromise I'm tempted to do or this issue I'm facing with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Meditate on the word. Is that your hunger? Is that our hunger? It takes time, folks. We don't just put down 15 minutes in the morning for a quiet time when we're half asleep to, to study the word of God, right? I mean, how long did you study to become to do your profession that you're in right now, if you work? Parents, how, how many child-rearing books and did you purchase from Christian bookstores and otherwise just to know how to do this thing better? How much effort did you put into these things? Is it not worthy? Is the word of God not worthy to have equal or better amount of effort presented to it? If this is really written by God, and it is, in case you were wondering, if it is really his uh, instruction manual to us, how important is it that we know it? Love letter, right? If you got a love letter, I mean, I think I may have used this illustration. I'm not sure if I have, just tune out for a little bit. Anyway, when my wife would write me love letters, man, it was like when we were like dating, courting, whatever you want to call it, right? She would send me these things. I didn't just like put them in the, you know, oh, look, I got a letter from Kim. I think I'll throw that in the car and maybe in a week or two, I'll remember to read it. Right? No, no, man. As soon as I got it, that was like a focus, Right? Oh, I got, she sent me a note. Look, it has my name on the front. This is David. The I is dotted with a heart. (laughs) It smells like her, right? Pop this bad boy up. I don't mean to make single people stumble, okay? But you know, right now you open that thing up and you parse the thing, right? Oh, she says, dear David. Why did she say that? Why didn't she say dear is David? Well, at least she didn't say David, Right? And you you read it, and why does she say this? And what does she mean by that? And because why? Because because I love her, and I want to know what she's saying, right? And I want to understand her deeper. This is a love letter from God, right? Preserved by the blood of the martyrs over years. God has taken great efforts to keep this thing in our hands, and we throw it in the backseat of our car after church on Sunday, and sometimes we don't even hardly bring it out. If we're not careful. And even our best efforts sometimes are just like reading, you know, Yahoo News. Well, let's see what's going on in the Bible today. God, will you please give me something? I don't have much time to study. Will you please give me something that will help me for the day? God's gracious and he does that all the time, doesn't he? But, you know, the reality is, can we not long to know him more? So that we might make better efforts to meditate upon his word. Too many of us today sit in a chair in a church and wait to be spoon-fed and never open the book ourselves and mine its riches. The story is told of a small fishing village where for many years there was a flock of seagulls that would feed on the remnants that the fishermen left behind as a process of doing their work. And everything was fine and good and there was a huge flock of, of seagulls there and very fat and Very happy but the economy changed and the fish moved on and because the fish moved on, guess who else moved on? The fishermen, that's right. The seagulls continued to come back to this place that they had learned, always had the meal for them. They had not learned to really hunt their own food out because they had lived off the scraps of the fishermen never learned to feed themselves and as a result, the entire flock of birds died. Believers who feed only on what others teach them are a little bit like that flock of so seagulls. This is important, okay? These teaching times are important. I, I mean, I'm dedicating my life to it, right? So I think it's pretty important. But I'm telling you what, please, for John, for me, don't for the, for Jesus Christ, don't let this be your complete diet, right? Mind the word of God deeply, richly meditate upon it. We need to be in the word, not merely taught by others, but we need to be fed in personal study. We need to meditate on it day and night. So the book of law will be in your heart. And as we said earlier, in in your mouth, and then also you'll notice letter C, the word of God's in your feet, okay? Look at the end of verse eight and mark it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. That's the purpose. It's not so we can win Bible trivia contests, right? Not merely that. There's little value in speaking the word from your mouth and cramming it into your head if it's not accompanied by obedience to the word in your feet, in your life. And that's why you have that very important phrase, that, that uh, proposition there that says, so that. Do you see those two little words there? Maybe your translation might be a little bit different, but it says something like that. So that, you see it? Here's the purpose. Why do we meditate on the word of God day and night? Why do we, why do we not let this book of the law depart from our mouth? So that, here's the purpose. So that we're careful to do. That's the purpose. That's what the word of God's for. So that we're changed by it. So that we're careful to do. Careful to do what? What does it say? Everything that's written in it. Not, I'm gonna pick out the things I like and ignore the others, but Everything. If we are to be effective, men and women of God, we, we must focus, be focused upon the word of God in such a way that we speak it, we internalize it, and we live it before a watching world. And you need all three. Have you ever met somebody who really knew the Bible pretty well and could talk it and all that, but their lifestyle was totally different? If you've ever worked with a guy, you know how hard it is to share Christ with other people in your office, right? We must have a connection between what the word of God teaches and our lives. There's a story told of an an area in the Old West where there was was an old lumber town. And the town decided it wanted a church. So they went to the business. They built a church building. They sent out to try to find a pastor. They eventually found a pastor and they brought him in to this little lumber, lumber town. And the preacher came and he preached and everything was going real well it seemed and everything Till one day when he happened to be down by the river and he noticed something strange going on. You see, the forest is upstream and all these little towns are built along the river and they would cut down, you've maybe seen this in old books and stuff, they would cut the lumber and then they'd float it down the river, right? A lot easier than carrying it. Didn't have rail, didn't have truck back then. So they'd float these things down the river. If you've ever seen those pictures of rivers just jammed with logs, you understand the story because what happens is up on the upside, when it was cut, the lumber, the, the people who owned it would put their stamp on the end of the log so that when they came down, you could divide it all out. Whose was what? Because it's all mixed up by the time it gets down there, right? So the pastor's out there and he notices his flock is out at the river and they've got the claws and they're reaching in, they're pulling logs in and he notices something strange. When they pull it in, what they did was they would take the saw and they would cut off the end and then they'd stamp it with their own stamp because it wasn't their log, He decides he's gonna work on this with him. So next Sunday, he prepares a killer sermon from Exodus 20. It says, thou shalt not steal. He preached it with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, man. Everybody was attentive. Everybody's listening. When they're walking out, they're going, oh, fabulous, pastor. That was the best sermon I've ever heard. Thank you so much for bringing us the word. He was encouraged, so encouraged, until he was down by the river that week later and saw him doing the same thing. So he decided he was going to get a little more direct with it this time. So he, he preached a sermon that thou shalt not steal logs from your neighbor. That was the title of it. He preached that one. And the membership ran him out of town the same day. Why? Uh, we're good with the theology of it, but we don't want it applied practically to our life. Folks, that is not Christianity. We fail. We are not perfect in what we do, Right? But I'll tell you this, the part and parcel of our life that should be growing in progressive sanctification is the fact that we are hearers of the word and doers of the word, not in perfection, but in direction, that over time, we're growing more and more Christ-like and what we're learning, we're putting into practice. The word of God needs to be not just in our mouths, right? Not just in our heads, not just in our heart, but in our feet. We need to live it, walk it, and experience it practically. It is essential that that be the case. If we speak the truth and do not live it, we are in danger of pushing people away from God's presence rather than bringing them near to it. We must be focused upon God's Word in our mouths, our hearts, and our feet. Cornerstone, as you enter a new time of ministry and growth, there will be times that will be difficult. There will be times where there will probably be disagreements. There will be times where philosophies of ministries might be different. You need to be in the Word of God. Every one of us, right? And constantly evaluate our desires, our plans, against the Word of God. And what we find that matches up, we cling to. If we find something that doesn't match up, we bail on that plan right and we repent if we're in sin and if it's and there are areas that the word of God is not directly saying this is right or this is wrong in philosophies of ministry especially especially, right if you find that you'd like something one way preference and your pastor and the leaders of the church and the majority of the church or whatever has come through and said this is this is the way we will do this. Guess what you ought to do? Does the Bible talk to us about how we handle preferences? You defer, don't you, to others. And if there's an authority in place, the authority needs to be deferred to as well. That's why the sword was given to the, the king, right? That's why leadership of the church was given to elders. It's not easy. I know that from both sides. I've been on both sides, but I've been on the elder side and I've been in the pew. And it's not easy. But what a beautiful act of worship it is when each one of us defers, puts others first, right? Following the example of Christ from Philippians 2 and submits ourselves to whatever his word says. So always guard your time in the word, folks. Keep going to the well. You're going to need to drink and and be fed by it constantly. And as you do that, submit your plans, submit your desires, submit your difficulties to the word of God. And be focused upon God's word daily. And be diligent to apply it to your life. Okay, God's marching orders don't end here, right, with the focus on the word of God. We see a second essential element of a man of God here. You see it number two on your outline. It's the foundation of God's man, and that is God's faithfulness, all right? There are two parts of this, okay? And you've got them on your outline. There's, we are to remember God's past faithfulness, right? And we're to rely on God's future faithfulness. Remember that comes from, he says, look, just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. Remember, that's, what's he doing there? He's saying, have you seen me work, Joshua? And if you think about this, if you're Joshua, put yourself in his sandals for just a second, all right? God says, just as I've been with Moses, Joshua, I'm gonna be with you. Whoa, think about that for a second. Was God, was God with Moses? Oh man, big time, right? I mean, if you're Joshua, you got to be so absolutely encouraged by that. His mind's probably flashing back to wow, Moses. You know, God was with him when he went into Pharaoh. Remember that? Let my people go, right? And the 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 the, the different plagues that God sent as He supported His man, right? I, Joshua says, I was there, I saw this. I saw God supporting his servant that was following him. Joshua's there, he walked through the Red Sea, right? When God heaped the water up on both sides and he walked through on dry land and Moses up there, you know, doing the Charlton Heston thing, right? Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. By the way, he's about to experience something very similar to that when he goes into Jordan, Right? Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Manna fell from heaven under Moses. Quail piled three foot high for food. Water flowed from rocks. Just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. God's power was supporting God's man. You see, what Joshua knew when he heard that statement was Moses wasn't the one who did all those things. God did. It was God's power. And if the same God is with me, Why should I worry? Why should I be concerned? Why should I fret? I'll be okay. And by mentioning Moses there, he's recalling God's faithfulness. Folks, I'm a big believer that that we need to do a better job of remembering God's faithfulness. You know what I mean? Think about all the times of what God's done in your life, how he saved you how he helped you when things didn't look like they were gonna work out, how when things were going terribly bad and he chose not to fix this or that, he gave you the peace that passes comprehension in it, right? Think of the many blessings he has just bestowed upon you. I think back, the place I go to more often than not is my time in seminary and just saw God's hand many, many times being faithful. In ministry, it's, it's seeing God's faithfulness uh, was, was always a joy, right? And in the times that I dealt with difficult situations and I saw God's hand, I remember a particular time where I had a church leader and we had to do some church discipline. I had to approach him about that and it would have really cost me my job. There's no doubt about it if this guy went a different way, but he repented and it was awesome and everything worked out and you know, it doesn't always go that way for sure, but I'd never been able to handle some of the stuff I faced later if I wouldn't have been able, if I wouldn't have remembered what he did then. He encouraged my heart, Right. Write some things down. That's just a part of thankfulness, you know? I'm not talking about some kind of mystical thing. All I'm talking about is, hey, it's, it's awful good practice to put something in, the, in your view to remind you. Remember 1 Samuel 7? Israel turned away from idols and to the Lord, and the Lord gave them a massive victory over the Pharisees. And what did Samuel do? Samuel took a stone, right? And he set it up between Mitzpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer because it meant the Lord has been with me so far. So you think every time he walked by a stone, he's like, hey, the Lord was with me so far. Remember that? By the way, isn't that what's about to happen is they go into the promised land when the thing's dry, grab some stones, right? Build an altar there, put one by the city where we're gonna have our military base going out of. So every time you're going to these wars against the giants and, and all these nations that hate you and all this kind of stuff, look at that pile of rocks. Look at what God did. I'm telling you, we're not very good at that. We have short-term memory for the gracious and wonderful things that God's done. And what we tend to remember are the times that we feel like he forgot us, let us down, forsook us or something like that, which is just a limited, unbiblical, unword of God, uh, saturated view of looking at a situation. (laughs) Every one of us, that's thankfulness, right? That's why thankfulness is so important. That's why Paul did that in Colossians. Because when I'm thankful, I'm rehearsing the things that God has done for me. What are you thankful for this morning? It's a wonderful practice to write some things down, and not just write them down, but go back and look at them. I have in my office uh, rocks. I know it's kind of corny because that's what Samuel did. I'm not very creative, but I have things that I remember from different things, and I'll write a verse on it, or I'll write a date on it, or something. And it's not anything that's, it's not God and it's not an idol or anything like that. But it reminds me when I may be facing something that I'm a little nervous about, that God's been with me thus far. We need to be better at that. We need to teach our kids, you know, hey, repeat to them the truths of what God has done for you and for them. Help them to get in that practice and learn that. It's a brilliant, wonderful thing to do that you see all through scripture. He doesn't say here they'll only remember, Right? By the way, read Deuteronomy. Sometimes circle the word remember because we're right here before this and you'll find that word is all over the place as they're going in the promised land. But he doesn't just say that. He also says to rely on God's future, future faithfulness. Just as I've been with Moses, remember that? I will be with you. What a promise. If you think back to Moses being called into the ministry, so to speak, at the burning bush, you remember that, what it was like? God says, hey, I want you to go into uh, and, and Egypt. I, mean, I got a plan for you. He's like, what, me? No, not me. Yeah, don't you know, I can't even speak well. I got a speech impediment, right? Not me, surely, wouldn't somebody else, wouldn't Aaron be better? Wouldn't Don't you, you, you did I, maybe I walked in on your plan here somehow, and this is, burning bush was for the next guy down the field. He says to God, he says, I'm slow of speech. How often do we take that kind of perspective in ministry? I'm not good enough. Yeah, duh, that's a starting point. Of course you're not good enough. Remember what God's response was? I'm slow of speech. Don't you have somebody else in mind? And God, somewhat impatiently it seems like to me as I read it, although not sinfully impatient, he says, who has made man's mouth? Who, who makes man dumb? Who who makes men seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And what's the point of that? I can I made your mouth the way it is. I knew this is what I'm doing. You need to trust me. If I want to remake your mouth, I'll remake your mouth. But you know what? Here, trust me, Moses has a speech impediment, which is wonderful because God gets the glory. It's not about Moses in his eloquent way that he commanded the people. See, we're looking around for Saul all the time, right? We're wanting people like what Moses is talking about there. But the thing is we, we need God saturated people in our midst and that's the, that's the focal point again, the foundation is God's faithfulness. We don't need Moses, we need the God who was with Moses. By the way, as you're thinking about applying this to you today, you might be tempted, and I I commend you for it, to say, um, well, that was to Joshua. That's an Old Testament scripture to somebody. We know we're not supposed to apply those things to ourselves, right? Unless they're given to us. Let me give you Matthew 28. Remember that one? The Great Commission to the church, to us. What's the end of it? Listen, He says, I want you to go, I want you to make disciples, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all this kind of stuff. And then he says what? And lo, behold, I'll be with you. That's the same thing, right? You know, hey, I'm not leaving you to do this on your own. It's not about you. I am there. I am with you. I will be faithful. Remember my faithfulness and rely on my faithfulness. When times are tough, we need to know that the same God who was with Moses, who was with Joshua, who was with David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Elijah, Elisha, go down through history, Paul, Peter, whoever, uh, Luther, you know, MacArthur, you know, who else? That God is with us, folks. It's essential that we rely upon God's faithfulness and then step forward in faith. Have you ever heard of the African um, impala? It's an amazing beast. It really is an amazing creature. You know what? The thing can jump 10 foot tall vertically just from a vertical jump. Boom, wouldn't that be fun by the way? And he can jump horizontally 30 feet, 10 foot, 30 feet. Disneyland would be a different experience. But even though he can do that, even though he has all that ability, any zoo on earth can contain an African impala with a three-foot-tall wall. Why? The African impala will not jump if it cannot see where it's going to land. Many Christians and Christian workers are like this today. You know, we have everything we need pertaining to life and Godliness. You know the word of God teaches us that? We do. We're not lacking. That's awesome. We are complete in Christ. I hope you got that out of Colossians. We have a mighty God. But how many Christians having all that can't see the end from the beginning in a situation? And as a result, we're tentative or unwilling to step out in faith. You know, the Bible tells us very, very clearly that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. You know, as your ministry continues on here, God's going to call you at some point to do things that you're not going to really be able to see how it's going to work out. It may be individually as you're looking at sharing your faith with somebody, it may be a sacrifice that He's calling you to do for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. you pray about it from position saturated in the word of god and when you feel that the spirit is, that's where you need to be then you need to walk by faith individually and corporately remember and rely and you will have the foundation necessary to be the man or woman of god okay so <coughs> with the focus of the man of god squarely on god's word right and the foundation of, of the man of God firmly established in God's faithfulness, look at the third essential element of a man of God, and that's the fearlessness of a man of God. Be strong and courageous. He says that three times, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Additionally, he says, do not fear or be dismayed. That's a similar thing, right? I mean, what's the point here? It's not going to be easy, All right. This is not for the weak of heart. This is, this is going against the flow, right? I mean, think about Joshua and his crew. Two million plus people standing on the plains of Moab about to cross into the promised land over there. Do you know what time of year it is when this is happening? Let me give you a hint. It's a time of year when the Jordan River, which if you've been to Israel, is nothing but a trickle anymore. But back then it was a lifeblood of that valley, all right? It was at flood stage. Now <clears throat> think about this for a second. Moses, Joshua, those guys, about to go into Jordan with two million people who have at times struggled with trusting God, right? And there is the Jordan at flood stage right in front of them, between them. There's not a bridge there. There's, you know, like, let's get a barge and, you know, oh, like the Civil War going across a river somewhere. And it's not like that at all. There is a river there. We're in the middle of a plain looking at the river and it's at flood stage and that bad boy's rushing. And on top of that, God's instruction is going to be, take the Ark of the Covenant, a big gold box, which weighs who knows what, right? And put it on your shoulders and start walking in. And and the water's not going to depart until you're stepping in it, all right? So get up into the mud, you know, as the water's going by, and put your feet with a gold anchor on your back into the water. That sounds a little bit like faith to me, doesn't it? I mean, you got to have faith to do that, Right? It's not going to be easy. Here's the message. Be strong and courageous once, verse six. Be strong and courageous again, verse seven. Be strong and courageous, verse nine. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Do not tremble. For just as I was with Moses, I'm with you. I will be faithful. Remember my word. Have no fear. Walk by faith, not by sight. (laughs) You think, well, getting across the flood stage, that might have been easy. You know what's on the other side of that? Seven nations that live there, that have no interest. You think they're just gonna, you know, you get across the river and they're gonna be like, oh, God gave you this land here, have my home, have my vineyard, you know, right? No, no, these people are ready to rumble, right? If somebody came to your house, you'd be like, you know, West Side Story, right? You know, I'd be, I mean, it'll all be about that, right? No, these people aren't giving it up and some of them, get this, they had scouted out the land some 40 years earlier, right? Remember what they saw there? The sons of Anak, A-N-A-K. Remember those guys? They were massive people, big people, giants. There's giants over there, right? We look like bugs to them. So (laughs) you get across the river, that might be the easiest part. Now you're going to fight all these people. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Remember, rely. Don't be afraid. I've given you my word. By the way, Joshua, as he's getting his instruction, is no spring chicken. He's 80 years old. And this is not Methuselah days, all right, where you're living to be a 1,000. He's 80 years old, and he's like, you cross the river, fight the battles. He's like, cool. If that's what God says, Do, let's go. And a man of faith. Caleb, that's another great study for you sometime. See, this kind of strength and courageousness is always a trait of a man of God. Always always a trait of the the victorious man of God, Stephen, who stands in front of a very, very hostile audience, right? And goes through Israel's history, leading them up to Christ and the gospel. And he's standing there peaceful, strong, committed, courageous, telling, carrying the message he was called to give them as stones are sinking into his skull. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody else is down on the ground and they stand up according with God's word, And are found faithful. Daniel. Don't pray. That's the law. He prays anyway. He's strong. He's courageous. Even though he gets thrown into a lion's den. Pick him out. Jeremiah the weeping prophet had nobody. But he stood and he gave the message. Thrown in cisterns. It didn't matter right. Stood. And was faithful. Fearless. The pages of the Bible, folks, and that's why it's good to go back and read the Bible. One of the other reasons, from, and the Old Testament has many, many examples of this, so does the New. <clears throat> but the pages of the Bible are peppered with stories of such men. I love what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 38 says about them when it's talking about these kind of folks. And it says, men of whom the world is not worthy. Isn't that good? It's beautiful. See, we still need this trait today. We need churches and church members that are ready to speak the truth, uh, whether it's popular or not, instead of tickling ears just to keep numbers up or keep everybody happy. We need this in in churches and individuals and leadership who speak words men that they don't want necessarily to hear, but they do it from a position of humility because they're words that these people need to hear, right? Just like you need to hear them and I need to hear them. I remember a guy that I worked with some 15 years ago. His name was Bruce, and <clears throat> he was engaged. And Bruce had scriptures running on his screensaver and, you know, professed to be a Christian and all this stuff. And I was talking to him one day, and I was, <clears throat> I was asking about his fiancée. And he says, well, oh, you know, she's not saved. I said, well, you know, I started talking about what the Bible says about that. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, <clears throat> I said, have you shared the gospel with her? Have you even talked to her about Christ? You know what the guy told me? No, I don't want to run her off. That didn't really work out very well in the end. But how much do you really love somebody if you're willing to tickle their ears all the way to hell? Right? We need to stand for the truth if it's the truth. We need to be strong and courageous because God has given us a task and the task is at hand. And we need to be found faithful. The best part of the equation for the man of God, though, is this last point on your outline, and that's the future of God's man, and it's this, true success. I'm not talking prosperity, success. I'm not talking about success the way uh, the world has defined it or the church often has defined it in our day and age. But that's what it says right there. Look at verse 8. It says, then, when you're careful to do, when you're relying, when you're strong and courageous, when this book of the law is not departing from your mouth, but you're meditating on it day and night, and you're careful to do everything that's written in it, then verse 8, it says, then you will be prosperous and successful. A man of God who has his focus on the word, his foundation is the faithfulness of God, who's living fearlessly because he knows God is the judge, and God is the one who stands with him, will be adequate for the task, and we'll have success in what he does. That's what it says. True success. In case you're wondering what that is, let me tell you what it's not, and then I'll tell you what it is. It does not mean that Cornerstone Bible Church will have 5,000 people in a year. It may, I don't know, okay? It may, I, don't, I don't have any idea. I don't pretend to. But the way we measure success, typically in churches, is numbers. Numbers of noses and numbers of nickels giving, which is not the way God measures success. Granted, we want as many people as possible to hear the truth, right? So we love numbers when they're right numbers. And we would like a few nickels to pay the bills, right? And send out missionaries. And it's an indicator of people's hearts because it's something that you're doing privately before the Lord. So it tells us a little bit about where your heart is. If everybody's here and thrilled but the offering's a dollar, that probably tells us it's not really real, right? Unless that's the market, that's the kind of income you have. It's not that. It's not nickels and noses. May God grant you great deals of noses and great deals of nickels. But what he wants to give you is true success. And true success is this. And it's very simple. For the Christian to be considered successful, you have accomplished God's purpose in your time, in your generation. Simple as that. It's not necessarily seeing the results. I love the epitaph for David in in Acts chapter 13. Remember that? God writes David's obituary in Acts 13. The man after God's own heart, he says, David, after accomplishing God's purpose in his generation, fell asleep. There's nothing more rich and beautiful than that. That's true success. It really is. Well done, good and faithful servant. There have been times where that has been accomplished with great uh, numbers and great uh, movements and there have been times when it didn't was the church in Acts chapters 5 and 6 any better at ministry than Jeremiah who had not one single convert both accomplished God's plan and purpose in their generation see the question this morning is simple Do you want to be a man of God? Do you want to be a woman of God? Do you want to represent God well? Do I? If so, it's very, very simple. It's not profound. Be focused where you need to be focused on the word of God. Remember what he's done? Rely on his faithfulness. He's been faithful. He'll continue to be faithful. Be rooted where God would have you to be rooted and be fearless for God is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. We need churches filled with those kind of people. We need churches led by those kind of people. We need churches that find their work in this book, not in the latest trend or the book on church growth techniques or people-pleasing philosophies. We need churches filled with men and women who know their God, who trust in their God, and who stand for their God when other people don't. And the question is, as we've been called to be a certain way as a church, th- th- as I've described here, and we've been entrusted with a, a certain message to take out to a lost and dying world. The question is, will we be faithful? Will we take simple instructions like be a man or woman of the word of God, rely on his faithfulness, take his message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it in your families and in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods? Will we reach out? to others around us where God has placed us. Will we be men and women of the word in thought and in deed? Will we seek to honor God in every aspect of this corporate church's ministry in ways that bring lasting rewards instead of just wood, hay, and stubble? And it all boils down to the same instructions. God doesn't change that he gave Joshua as he was getting ready to carry out his plan. Simple, simple, simple. So simple that a small child Can understand I need to be in the word and rely on God and be fearless in obeying him but also so profound that we spend the rest of our lives seeking to study and grow and carry out what he's calling us to do aren't you glad that he's not calling us to do this on our own power aren't you glad that he's just not like you know read my word go at it love you He's given it, the, and then as believers, he's indwelled us with the Holy Spirit of God who empowers us, who, who, who gives us the ability to understand what he's teaching us, right, first, and then gives us the ability to be careful to do everything that we found there. And when we fail, which we do daily, right, he is faithful, that's one of the things that you're thankful for, I hope, this morning, is that he's faithful to forgive, right? He's not like, oh, man, I told you. You heard Pastor Dave's sermon. You're supposed to do everything now, right? And then you you've screwed it up. You messed up. You're out. No, no, he comes alongside. He says, you know, temptations are strong. My son was tempted like no other man. That's why I gave you my spirit. That's why I'm giving you my forgiveness. Let me dust you off and let's get going again, huh? Isn't that good? It's not minimizing sin. He hates sin and it cost him his son's life. But what it is, is with that comes grace and mercy. We will not be perfect at any point in our life here. So if you're getting that out of it, you miss the point. You just won't but I don't give you that as a license to be licentious because the times we fail are the times that our flesh is overruling the word of God and the spirit of God and we're fighting against him. It's strong. We still do that, right? But repent quickly. Seek his forgiveness and the forgiveness of any others that you may have sinned against as well. And return to the task. Re-center your focus. Refocus on his faithfulness as well. And follow him all the days of your life. Individually. And then that will affect the church so positively. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and this time together. We thank you for your instructions to your servant Joshua. Lord, we need to hear them. Whether we've been a Christian today day. Our Christian for 70 years, there are truths that we need to have refreshed to our minds because we so easily see our focus shifting from you to things and from your faithfulness to our fears. Lord, we want to be successful. We want to uh, accomplish your purposes that you have for us, which are so varied. But you certainly have purposes for your, your church corporate as well. Lord, I pray for this body that they would continue to seek those out and would have joy and a lot of grace in the process of carrying out the task of being a a city on a hill before a watching world. So, Father, we just thank you for your truth this morning. And by your grace, Lord, may we be found faithful. In Christ's name, amen.